Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. Today I have a question for you as we open up the word to the book of Esther. I'm going to ask you a question. You're not going to know what it means, but I'm going to ask you, do you poor? Do you poor? Okay. Have you ever disliked someone? I mean, have you ever disliked someone so much that you wanted something bad to happen to them? Huh? I mean, you said that out loud, Kathy. You just said, yeah. Did you hear? Yeah. (laughs) Have you ever disliked someone so much that you sat around imagining their downfall or daydreaming about how you might turn the tables and get some revenge? You see, revenge is a human character flaw, and it can all too often capture our minds. It can all too often hold us and control us and and rob us of the joy of life, the desire to get back at someone for some perceived or some actual injustice or some harm that they did can totally consume a person. Revenge-minded people end up being tortured souls. You see, decisions that aren't motivated by love and tempered by mercy give way to the very worst elements in us. We are capable of bad things. Even though we may be good people, we're capable of bad things. Acting on unforgiveness and bitterness and hatred and strife and division along with selfish acts and attitudes... When we act on those things, when we act in, un, in, in, in our unforgiveness or act out of bitterness or act out of anger, that is when we are more like the devil than, than at any other time in our lives. A child of God can be a child of God, but can act like the devil. And oftentimes it is because of some hurt on the inside of us. I understand uh, from my doctrine that a born again Christian, that a born again believer cannot be possessed by Satan, but they can be possessed by hatred, by jealousy, by envy, by anger. They cannot be possessed by the devil, but they can be possessed by revenge, by hatred, by hurt. And possessed by, possessed I mean totally controlled by. You see, our Bible story today deals with a man who could not get over feeling like he had been done wrong. Our Bible story today will come from the book of Esther, and it's going to highlight, we will highlight uh, and, and, and try to reveal what was going on in the life of this particular man. He's the bad guy in the book of Esther. This man went to such extremes with his plans to get revenge that it consumed him, everything he said, everything he did, uh, you know. And God just was not going to support this man's revenge. God was not for it. God was against it. He is against the times in our lives whenever we want revenge or we want to get back at someone or we're carrying around a burden of, of you know, hate and hurt so much so that we, we would feel better if something bad happened to them or if the tables were turned and, and, and they could feel like we feel for a moment. That's not a a good place to live because it can totally consume us. This particular man 
was so bent on revenge that God ended up turning the tables on him and this man ended up hanging himself on the very gallows that he went out and built for the person he felt like had done him wrong. For the past 2,500 years, every year in the spring of the year, for the past 2,500 years since this man died, Jewish families get together and celebrate their deliverance from this man who was taking his revenge out on one Jewish man named Mordecai who would not bow to him. And he planned on exterminating all of the Jews who were in that province, in all the provinces. Every day it is remembered but one day out of every year for the past 25 years, families get together, Jewish families, and read this story together. They read about how God delivered them from the vengeance of this man. The man's name was Haman. And the one day, that special day every year that I'm talking about, that's what we know as the Feast of Purim. Purim. The Feast of Purim was just Thursday. Okay? It was just a couple of days ago this past week. And all over the world, families got together and they read this story and they did some things very particular during the story. It's a celebrated week. And that's the reason I ask you, do you poor? We'll talk about that more later. But right now, let's turn our attention to the scriptures there in Esther. If you found the book of Esther or you can read along with me, the Old Testament book, it's the account of a queen, a queen named Esther, who didn't start out life as a queen. It's a very familiar story of a young lady who, who had nothing, and she was an orphaned young girl, and, and all of a sudden she finds herself in a very prominent position and is promoted to be the queen. She marries the king. What a wonderful story. Today we're going to use this story to make some points and to discover the principles that God has for us today. Esther, the first chapter, verse 1. The Bible says, Now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus. This was Ahasuerus who reigned over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. Did you guys know that India was in the Bible? I'm taking 50 of you with me to India this year. Look at there. Here it's in the scripture. Uh, one time, the guy that reigned over it was a king. We also know the king, uh, king's name as Xerxes. Artaxerxes is who we believe this uh, also compares to in history. And it seems that this happened about 2,500 years ago. Actually, about 480 B.C., about 480 years before Jesus was born, this Persian king, he had a reputation of being rather quite rash in his behavior. He would do things quickly and not always, uh, you know, do things that, that he had checked out or even things that worked. He was very quick in his decisions. It's recorded once that this particular king, he was so rash that when a storm came, he was so angry that it tore down a bridge that he went out and took a whip and scourged the sea beat the sea for having torn down his bridge. And also, he killed all the engineers. <laughs> he was quite rash in his behavior. Well, but he was the king over, you know, uh, 100, you know, 
127 provinces. He was the king of the, of the uh, Persian and, and Media Empire. In those days, verse 2, when King Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan, Shushan, the citadel, that in the third year of his reign, he made a feast for all his officials and servants, the powers of Persia and Media, the nobles and princes of the provinces being before him. When he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the splendor of his excellent majesty for many days. 180 days in all. Can you imagine having a feast that lasted six months? He had a big party. Again, I, he was very rash and he was very opulent and he spent a lot of money and he invited all these important people and for six months they had a feast. Well, during the very last part of this feast, this feast basically was to celebrate himself. He threw a party to celebrate himself as being king. During the last part, what he did was he sent word to his wife, Queen Vashti. Queen Vashti was a very beautiful woman, evidently. He thought she was. And he sent word to her that I want you to come out over here where I've got all these important people and I want to show them. I've showed them all my treasury. I showed them all my kingdom. I've showed them all how important I am. Now I want to show them what a man I am and what a beautiful wife I got. Come on out here. Prayed around in front of all my friends, and she said no. Basically, you've been drunk for six months, and I'm not coming over there. Well, it ended up that her telling the king no, it actually backfired on her, and she was, you know, lost the crown, and she was banished from ever seeing the king again for the rest of her life. Well, about two years later, History tells us in the fifth year of his reign, he didn't have much else to do. He thought, well, I'm going to go conquer Greece. And so he puts together two million man army and he marches over to Greece. And when he gets over to Greece, well, he comes on ships. And, and when, when, when he gets over to Greece, I mean, I mean, he thinks he's going to tear the place up. He's just going to absolutely with two million men, he's going to, you know, but he ran into a little snag. A man who was a warrior king of Sparta named Leonidas with only 300 men at Thermopylae kind of closed the gap on him. Haven't y'all seen the movie, 300 with all those ships coming and here they're standing up, you know, making a wall of dead bodies. Well, hey, you know, that's representative of what happened. Two million men coming at you and you got 300 and you just stand in the gap. Wow, now that guy was a guy, okay? But that wasn't his last defeat in Greece. He finally came home. But when he got home, he only had 5,000 of those 2 million men left. Well, you know, after his return, he kind of got a little bit depressed. He was sitting around kind of looking back over his life and, and uh, you know, uh, he was experiencing some depression and he was regretting, uh, uh, you know, uh, Esther, the second chapter in verse one tells us that after these things, when the wrath of, of King Ahasuerus subsided, he remembered his former wife, his queen. And he really, you know, he really regretted what he had decreed against her. He was sitting around getting a little depressed. 
What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And so his friends and his counselors around him, they said, oh, we've got to do something to make the king feel better. And so what they did, they came up with a plan and they said, hey, king, here's what we're going to do. In, in, instead of you sitting here and pining away and being all depressed, we're going to go out into all of your provinces and we're going to find all these beautiful young virgins and we're going to bring them before you and they're going to have one night with the king to impress you and to make you feel better. And the, and, and the woman that really rocks your boat you can make her new queen and so they went out king said okay <laughs> sounds good to me they went out and gathered all of these young virgins and they brought them in and 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 and, and they you know they fed them and they bathed them and they and they and they just really you know just really catered to them and then each one of them had one chance to have one night with the king well, it just so happened that one of the young virgins that was brought in to see if she could impress the king and if she might have her chance at being queen was this young girl who was an orphaned Jewish girl named Esther. She had been raised by her cousin named Mordecai. Now, Mordecai was a devout Jew. He wasn't going to bow down or pay homage to anybody. He worshiped God and God alone. Well, Mordecai had told Esther, don't you tell them that you're a Jew. Don't you tell them about your ethnicity. Don't you tell them about your culture. Don't you tell them about your religion. You just keep that secret. And so she obeyed her cousin, Mordecai. When it came Esther's turn to be with the king, wouldn't you know it? He was smitten with her. Whew! She was like no other. What happened? He made her his queen. That's what Esther 2.16 says. You know, uh, she was taken in, in the, to, to see him in the seventh year of his reign. He was smitten with her. She became his new queen. I know that I'm sharing a lot of different names today, but we'll clarify who these people are in a moment before we get to the points. Mordecai was the cousin, and he was a devout Jew who worshiped God, even though they were in captivity in the Persian Empire. This young lady named Esther an orphaned girl raised by her cousin. Now she finds herself as queen. But the laws are very particular in the Persian Empire. Even though she was the queen, she did not have a right to go in and see the king anytime she wanted. She had to be invited to see him because anyone who came before the king uninvited would have their head cut off unless the king intervened. And this particular king was very rash. You never knew what he was going to do. And so even though she was the queen, yet she might not have gotten to see him very many times. Four years and three months go along. They've been married now for over four years. And during this time, the king is 
you know, he's, he's doing okay. Things are going okay in the kingdom, going a little bit better. But one of the things that the king has done is he has promoted some people in his ranks. And one of the men that he promoted was a very bad man. He became the head over all the princes, over all the provinces. His name is Haman. Haman is the bad guy in this story. Mordecai is the good guy. Haman is the bad guy. Esther is the queen. Ahasuerus is the king. Here, in this particular setting, Haman was filled with pride. This bad guy had such, such prideful, selfish ambition. When he would ride through the streets, he expected everyone to bow down to him and pay homage and worship him. Well, he was riding through the streets one day and everyone was bowing to him except one person. One man was standing up tall and looking at him. Who are you? Mordecai. Now, he was the cousin to the queen, but Haman didn't know it. Haman just knew he was a Jew. He didn't know he had anything to do with the queen because they didn't know the queen was a Jew. Haman said, bow down. Mordecai said, no, I ain't going to do it. I serve Jehovah Almighty God, and you're just a prideful young whippersnapper. I ain't no way I'm bowing down to you. I'm not worshiping you. Who are you? Filled with pride? Haman was infuriated, but Haman realized that he had no power to punish this man. But he couldn't get it out of his system, couldn't get it out of his mind. And so he went home and everywhere he went, he was just so filled with rage and so filled with anger. He felt like he had been humiliated. He felt like he had been publicly disgraced. He felt like he'd been challenged. He felt like he'd been disrespected. And for a prideful, arrogant man, that's kind of a tough thing. It's kind of tough for a prideful, arrogant woman as well. To feel like you've been, you know, publicly humiliated. To feel like you've been disrespected. To feel like somebody's done you wrong. To feel like somebody's challenged you. And so Haman, it was eating him up. It was eating him up. And he said, man, I've got to get revenge. I have got to get revenge. I've got to get them back. I've got to do something. And not only him, because he's also encouraging his, his, his whole group of Jewish friends to not respect me. How dare him? I've got to get him back, but I don't have any power. So Haman devised this plan. I know what I'm going to do. I am going to get the king to give me the right to kill Mordecai, to hang him, and to kill every Jew in all the 127 provinces of the Persian Empire. But I'm going to need some help. I'm going to need some help to do this because it's very important that I choose the right day and that I, that I choose the right time and, 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 and because I, I can't let this backfire on me. I'm going to need to make sure that, 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 that I have some help. And the help that he needed, he figured was some astrological being, some god of something, someone somewhere <laughs> that would help him. Someone bigger than him that could see the future and could figure things out. And so what did he do? Well, Haman called in all of these people to help him. In Esther, the third chapter, you know, he needed a foolproof plan. 
okay? He knew the king was a rash man, and this could backfire on him easily. Esther, the third chapter, verse 7. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast poor. Remember, do you poor? They cast poor. That is the lot. Before Haman, to determine the day and the month until it fell on the 12th month, which is the month of Adar. Now, let me tell you what they did, literally what they did when they're casting poor. That's why the feast is called Purim. It means to cast lots, okay? Uh, poor means to roll dice, to, you know, to, to read tea leaves, to, you know, to, to, you know, to shake bones out. I mean, to do whatever you do, you know, to try to come up to flip a coin, you know, to call in the, 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 the magicians and the astrologers or anybody else, you know, to read the signs and, 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 and to find out from this astrological being somewhere, from somebody that's bigger than me, maybe the God of poor, I don't know, somebody, I need to flip a coin to decide you know, when's the best day I'm going to do this. And so they laid out all the months in front of him and they basically rolled the dice we're going to call them dice okay they cast lots maybe they shook bones out you know maybe they had all these things laid out and they shook out a bunch of bones or a bunch of marbles or a bunch of rocks maybe they were all white rocks except one of them was a blue rock and and the blue rock you know whatever month it landed on that's the month that was the best month okay and so they went through all the months and they found out oh the best month is the month of Adar okay now remember the Bible says that they did this on the first month of the year okay they did this in like, like like it's in our you know like like we would do it in january okay you know on the first month of the year come in, well when is when is the best day for me to to kill all the jews when is the best day for me to kill Mordecai? When is the best day? Oh, come on, help me, help me, help me. I mean, you know, it's like standing in front of the you know, dice table going, oh, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, seven, come on, seven, come on, seven. Okay? Come on, whatever God he's praying to, come on, come on, come on, come on. You got all these people out here, come on. And they're all no telling, no chanting or whatever else. And they shake it out and boom, and it chooses, you know, not, not the second month, not the third month, not the fourth month, not the fifth month, not the sixth month, not the seventh, eighth, ninth, you know. Uh, but it chose the last month of the year. Then they shook them out for the days. What day of the month? What day of the month? Is it the first, the second? And it fell on the 13th. So Haman said, I'm assured now of having victory. That's the day I'm going to get to have victory and kill all of my enemies. It's 11 months, <laughs> you know, 11 or 12 days from now. Okay, now let me tell you something. Let me tell you who the God of poor is. It's Jehovah. He's the God of everything. Isn't it just like God? <laughs> because he's fixing to go to the king and ask the king for permission to kill them all. And, and when, when you want to kill them? Oh, 11 months and 11 days from now. Can you give me some letters? And so they send letters out to all the provinces that, 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 that on the 13th day, you know, 11, 11 months and 11 days from now, we're going to, to kill all of the Jews. <laughs> Well, you know, that gave them 11 months and 10 days to pray and seek God and to get a plan together. I mean, you know, God was the one controlling those dice. Watch out about flipping coins. It might lead you right into a box canyon. If you're bent on vengeance, if you're bent on just getting revenge, 
hurting someone. Decisions not based and motivated by love and mercy bring out the very worst in us. Haman wanted revenge, but isn't it just amazing that God controlled it so it was as far away as he could to give the most time possible. And so Haman, he ends up going, you know, to the, to the king. And, and uh, 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 let me review the characters here before we continue. Okay? There's a king. He's rash in his behavior. He liable to do and say anything. There's a queen named Esther who is a Jew and the king doesn't know it. And Haman doesn't know it. And there's Haman, who is the king's right-hand man. He can come see the king anytime. And he influences the king. And he's a bad man. He's a bad man filled with pride, bent on revenge. Okay? And then there's Mordecai. He's the good guy. Okay? He is the cousin to the queen, but nobody knows it but he's a worshiper of God and God is not about to let Haman kill Mordecai and all the Jews. Are you ready? Verse eight, chapter three. Then Haman said to the king, listen, there's a group of people here. There's a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from all other peoples, and they do not keep the king's law. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. Well, the king agreed. I mean, Haman is my right-hand man. Okay, Haman is the guy that should know. And if these people are hurting everybody and if these people are, are wrong and if they're disobeying the king, hey, yeah, okay. And so here's some letters. Send letters out to all the provinces. And so they did. They sent them out everywhere and saying that on the 13th day of the month of Adar will be open season on the Jews. You can kill all of them you want to. You can take their lands. You can, you can do anything you want to and take their possessions and there will be absolutely no penalty to anyone who hurts, kills, or steals from the Jews on that day. You can read the rest of the story and see how God delivered the Jews. It's a great story. How God brought deliverance to his children through Esther. One of the better quotes in the book of Esther is Esther saying that if I perish, I'll just have to perish. But it's my duty to go before the king. And she walked into the king unannounced. Yeah, ended up saying, well, I'm one of those people that Haman wants to kill. <laughs> Woo! That didn't set real well with the king who is very rash. Well, what do you need then? Well, you know, they're going to do this on the 13th day. Well, we just need a couple of day leeway. Let us have open season on all our enemies before then. <laughs> wow. Well, you can read it. A wonderful story. We can learn a lot from Haman and Esther and Mordecai. They were all faced with real concerns. But the question I have for you today is, do you poor? What does that mean? Do you cast lots? How do you make your decisions? 
Is life a roll of the dice for you? You know, each year, whenever Purim is observed, every time the word Haman, every time his name is mentioned, they have these little clickers and they, they go, you know, and they scream, especially the children, and they boo, you know. I mean, uh, if, if, if you ever get the chance, go with me, you know, to Israel and, and uh, go with me to one of our, our, our Jewish friends' home on, on Purim. And, and every time Haman is said, yeah, boo, you know, and every time Mordecai is answered, yay, boo, yay. And let me tell you the tradition. Let me tell you the Talmud, okay? Now, this is not uh, us. This is not the Bible. This is the tradition, okay? That that day is supposed to be celebrated. Celebrated in such a way that there's a lot of drinking. In fact, you're supposed to drink so much that you can no longer tell the difference between the blessings of Mordecai and the curses of, of, of uh, Haman. That sounds like a party, don't it? Yeah, well, go with me. We won't be doing that, but go with me, okay? <laughs> That's how big of a deal it is to be delivered from complete extermination. That's how big of a deal it is to be celebrated. Let me tell you, Haman was a bad man. But, but, but you know, you don't have to be a bad man to have a bad plan. And today is all about how you come up with the plans, how you come up with your decisions, how you come up with your choices in life. What do you do to make your decisions? What are the standards? What are the guides of your life? Does your strategy come from Jehovah God or, 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 or just from the God of this world? How do you make your decisions? What do you do? How do you talk to yourself? Where do you go? Uh, how do you handle being done wrong? Are you vengeful or are you forgiving? You know, like I said, Haman was a bad man, but you don't have to be a bad man to have a bad plan. And it's necessary that we check our hearts and we check our desires constantly. Because we don't want to end up on the wrong side of God. We don't want to end up in a box canyon. We can get our plans from so many sources. But unless our plans come from God, unless what we are, 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 are committed to is something that God is committed to, we may end up no more successful than Haman. So this morning, I said all of that to get us to a place to where I can give you three things about a God plan. I'm hoping it challenges you. Three things about a God plan. How do I know if I have a God plan or not? You see, don't be like Haman. Haman only cared about himself. And when a person, you know, gets in that place, it can be very difficult. Are you ready? Number one, a God plan is motivated by love. Now, if what you are doing is not motivated by love, it may not be a God plan. It may be a plan, but it's probably a bad plan. It may not look like a bad plan. I mean, you may have consult, you know, consulted your horoscope. I don't know. You may have you know, rolled the dice. You may have flipped the coin. You, know, you, you, you may have done a lot of things, but if your plan is not motivated by love, if it does not have a redeeming quality, if it, does not ha if, if it is not covered by the love of God, it is not a God plan. If it's not something you're doing out of love, then why don't you just hold on just one moment, okay? A satanic plan is motivated by hatred and anger and, and, and being upset and frustration and irritation 
If your plan is not covered by love, it's not a God plan. If you're planning on walking out, getting out, quitting, doing somebody harm, breaking something, you know, destroying something, if you're not covered by love, it's not a God plan. Leave it in God's hands. Leave it with him. Don't put your hand to it. If it's not covered by love, Mordecai and Esther cared about others more than they cared about themselves. Haman only cared about himself. When, when you're only caring about yourself, when you are selfish and arrogant and prideful and ungrateful, whenever you feel better than other people, whenever you feel entitled, for some reason I shouldn't be treated this way, for some reason this shouldn't be happening to me, for some reason they're doing me wrong, when it's only me, it may not be covered by the love of God, when it's not also about how others feel. Every Every plan that we have should be motivated by love. When a person only cares about themselves, no one else will care for them. That's why they yell boo every time the word Haman is 2,500 years later. If I walk through Israel today and I go, Haman, someone will go boo. They also take rocks and they write the word Haman on them and they bang them together until the writing is all gone and all rubbed off, symbolizing that they're wiping his name out from the face of the earth. How would you like to be that hated when you only care about yourself? No one else will care about you. When a person only cares about themselves, why should anybody else care for them? And they don't. We need our plans covered by love, covered by God, instead of just being all about us. Number two, the second thing about a God plan Now, you're going to have to listen to this one, okay? Let me explain it. A God plan won't end up with you on the throne. Okay? Now, let me explain this. A God plan won't end up with you on the throne. Sometimes our plan kind of ends up with us on top. We win. Hello? You know, God loves you, but he already has a winner in the family. Okay. A God plan won't end up with other people bowing down and worshiping you. Oh, you're right. You're right. Oh my goodness. Yes. Oh my goodness. I'm in the, I'm, 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 I'm in greatness. You are right. You have always been right. I know it. I know you're right. Oh, what, what was, what was I, what was I thinking about? A God plan is not going to end up with everyone else bowing down to you. As the, as the high potentate of all wisdom, paying homage to you and telling you that, my goodness, I'm just blessed to be in your presence. <laughs> if that's what you're going for, think again. That's not a God plan. If you want to be great, the Bible says, then it's going to come through humility, not through self-exaltation. Am I making any, any, any sense here? 
Okay. A satanic plan will always end up with you becoming, you know, the grand master of all truth and wisdom. <laughs> That's a satanic plan. But it won't end up that way. Never does. That's empty. That's where he tried to catch Jesus. You know, just bow down to me and you'll be the king of everything. Look, you'll be the king of it. It wouldn't, no, uh, nothing works out like that. A God plan might end up with you being promoted. It may end up with you, be, but a God plan will not go through the land of self-promotion to get there. Doesn't mean that you don't put your best foot forward. It doesn't mean you don't present well. It just means that your single motivation is not that I'm going to get on top and stay on top and the heck with everybody else, no matter who I have to hurt or kill or step on to get there. Self-promotion is not promotion. You can read about that in the book of John. And the Bible says in Proverbs, the 25th chapter in verse 27, that for a man to seek his own glory is not glory. Okay. So a God plan will be covered by love and it won't you know, your goal will not be to get on top and let everybody bow down to you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching better than y'all are amening. And number three, simply put, a God plan will not violate God's word, his will, or his way. It just won't. It will go, go against the word of God. You cannot go against the word of God to accomplish the will of God. Other plans... Promise love and peace and joy, but they don't deliver. The book of Revelation said that that's one of the last things we'll see. The tribulation, uh, just before the tribulation, is that there will be offered this plan of peace from some demonic ambassador. But it won't turn out that way. It never does. You cannot get from this world what God is willing to give you. You can't go outside of his word, his will, and his way trying to accomplish what he wants you to accomplish, especially when you're trying to hang somebody else. You'll know it's a God plan. Are you trying to hang or hurt somebody else? That's not a God plan. Whoever rolls a stone, Proverbs 26, verse 27 says, whoever rolls a stone, it'll roll back on him. Whoever digs a pit, he'll fall into it. Just like Haman, he built gallows for Mordecai. He ended up hanging himself on him. Where do you get your plans? Do you poor or do you pray? Do you just sit around thinking these things up? How could I get my best advantage? How can I uh, create a great strategy? How could I make someone look bad? How could I turn those tables? How could I answer a snarky answer? How could I be, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, how, how can I turn the tables so that people see that I'm right? How can I appear to be the person that's, that, 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 that's you know, should be respected and should be, how, you know, I mean, what, or do you just pray and serve? If we're going to be great, we have to be the servant of all. Do you go to the word for your plans or do you go to the world? Today, it is the hope of God that we would open up our hearts and realize that anything that God wants you to do is going to be motivated by love. It's not going to promise you that you're going to be on the throne. It's going to require a servant's heart, an unselfish attitude, and it will not violate his word, his will, or his way. I don't know who or how many this morning, 
I don't know from where you may be watching this, but I am certain that I'm speaking to someone who has, who has a hurt. You don't have to be a bad person to have a bad plan. Don't follow through with your plan. If it's not motivated by love, if it's motivated by anger or fear or worry or hurt or you know, frustration, irritation, don't go with that. Think again. If it's just going to make you look good, think again. You don't need to look that good at the expense of someone else looking bad. Your victory is not in your enemy's defeat. Your victory is in God. Let God take care of your enemies. Don't violate his word, his will, his way. He loves you as a plan for your life. And he has a plan to give you victory over your enemies.